Welcome to the 168th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football, and our weekly in-depth look at Major League Baseball. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in Major League Baseball, where Patrick went 1-3 in his Major League Baseball weekend series predictions. And in college football, Patrick went 3-1 and one in his weekend predictions, so obviously he was 4-4 four and four this weekend, bringing him to a 448 and 315 overall record, a 58.7% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, you say obviously on obviously it was 4-4, four and four, but we haven't had to add two leagues together in a very long time, so math is no longer a given. Uh, maybe, maybe it is in the future now, now that I'm going to be adding the leagues together, but you know, you never know. Simple addition can be hard. Of course, it's not hard, but, you know. Um, Look, the MLB is, uh, this was probably, I would say, not the hardest weekend of predictions, but the weirdest weekend of predictions. And the reason why I say that is because the Twins swept the Giants, but before that series, they had lost six in a row, and they had lost Byron Buxton to injuries, so it just felt like, can I really pick that team to win a series? I didn't feel like I could. But at the same time, the Giants had lost a series to the Tigers right before it. So I pretty much knew that that series was kind of a throwaway series and that I was expecting to be wrong no matter who I picked. And, uh, you know, just so happened to be that the Twins were so cold for so long that they had to get hot for a while. And that's exactly what they did by beating the Giants. Um, And the Giants just continued their cold streak from Detroit and lost some more games. Uh, Then you have the Red Sox. This team is incredibly inconsistent. I think this is the second or third week in a row that they've lost four games in a row in the span of a week and then won the next series over the weekend over a team that was better than them. So it's just, that team is weird. Um, It's the same. It's really the same thing. I mean, I'm I'm having trouble describing these series because right off the bat, I knew it would be weird and hard to predict. And it really has been, it really was everything that I expected it to be. Um, the only real surprise here was that the Orioles took two of three from the Astros. The Astros bats just went quiet for a week. I was never for a weekend. I was not expecting that. Um, that was the more straightforward prediction that I thought, you know, I thought with the Braves and the Cardinals, that was really a toss up. There were some good pitching matchups for the Cardinals in that series, but at the same time, Braves, obviously the better team out of those two teams. So it's really hard to pick series like that, but I went with the Cardinals off the back of that pitch, those pitching matchups. So I went with them. Uh, That one ended up being right, but I was very, very surprised that the Astros didn't get the offense going this weekend against the Orioles, especially because they had matchups that favored them uh, in terms of the Orioles really having, I guess, what you would describe as their fourth or fifth starter on the mound, uh, that being Kyle Bradish in the first game of the series, and that was against Christian Javier, and then he just, I mean, the Astros literally did not score in that whole game, and that was what ended up being the end of that series for them, Uh, although, well, was actually just the first game, but kind of ruined that series as they would split the next two. But that was the game that I thought was the sure win for them, and I thought they'd be able to take one of the other two. But instead, they uh, weren't able to take the first one, which meant that they did take one of the next two, but end up still losing that series. Um, but that's all I have for MLB. In college football, I will refrain from going into too much depth about these games because we're about to... Uh, while we talk about college football, since these are really the only games there were this weekend, it's 
four of the 11 that were played this weekend. Uh, Northwestern beat Nebraska. That one I predicted wrong, but I'm okay with that. Um, then you have Illinois beating Wyoming, 38-6. to That was supposed to be a much closer game. The line was within 10 points. I think it was a 9.5-point line or an 8.5-point line. But Illinois came out and was strong, although something that we've noted or something that I saw actually over the weekend that was surprising is that Illinois has like the fifth best record in FBS for openers since like 2011, despite probably having like one or two winning seasons that whole time, which just goes to show you that, sure, I mean, I guess you could say that, uh, yeah, I could pretend that I had done that research beforehand, but really it just shows you they don't play anybody in their openers. Although last year they were forced to play Nebraska in their opener and that still was a win for them. Um, But yeah, I mean, well, that's rude, but... Yeah, they play the best 3-9 and team of all time. Um, But, you know, I guess that means Illinois doesn't play anybody. It's still surprising because there are a lot of teams who don't really play anybody good, and there are just teams that, you know, just beat everybody anyway, that being Alabama mainly. But I guess maybe they've lost an opener or two since 2011. Uh, But regardless of that, this game was supposed to be a close-ish one, not exactly one that the outcome was in doubt. But in terms of who was going to, in terms of the margin, I think, was supposed to be a lot closer than it was, ended up not being close at all. Um, and, well, good for Illinois, I guess. That's really all I can say about it. We'll go into it more depth about it later. North Texas and UTEP. This was an interesting matchup. I actually picked this over a different game. There were two games with e- almost even lines this weekend. Um, I chose to not pick Charlotte and FAU, mostly because I wasn't really uh, too hyped to watch that game. And I feel like, you know, there it happens every weekend in college football that... The difference in MLB and college football is MLB, I'm picking the best records against each other. But in college football, we know that conference by conference, there's a little bit of a different breakdown in terms of how good teams actually are. So North Texas and UTEP better than Charlotte and FAU, definitely. Um, And in terms of the even line in Charlotte and FAU, there will be plenty of even 1.2.3 point lines this season that I don't pick in favor of games where, you know, maybe Alabama is playing another ranked team and they're favored by, I don't know, 12 and a half, 14 and a half. That might be next weekend, by the way. I don't even, I, I think, what, do they play Texas to open their season? Or do they play yeah, somebody else? They play Alabama. Then yeah, I, I, might play be, I, might, I might be picking that game, even though the spread will be probably bigger than some of the others. But the point is, you it's not about the spread with for me in that. It's about picking the best teams. So North Texas and UTEP, a little more relevant in the national conversation uh, this year than Charlotte or FAU will be. Uh, in case you don't know, North Texas and UTEP are in the conference that produced UTSA in their uh, ranked season from the end of last year. There were no ranked teams in the conference of Charlotte and FAU, so, you know, just a little bit more of a relevant game. And then Vanderbilt beat Hawaii 63-10. to I will talk about that in a second. Um, but a good showing for Vanderbilt, and obviously that game relevant because less than a 10-point spread, so it wasn't supposed to be a blowout, and an SEC team. I mean, granted... Not the best SEC team, but if this was the best SEC team, that line would probably be about 50 and a half. So made it a closer game in terms of expectations. Wasn't a close game in terms of results. Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursdays. Uh, Speaking of NCAA football, let's keep that theme alive and have a quick look back at Week Zero action. Well, we're going to actually at least touch on all of the 11 games this weekend. Um, starting with Nebraska and Northwestern, I just mentioned that Northwestern won that game 31-28. to Well, 
I don't have much to say about this for a reason. Um, I will defer to my past self uh, from November 22nd, 2021, also known as Podcast 97, um, and November 29th, uh, 2021, which was Podcast 99, where uh, Nebraska had just lost a game. I think the first one was to Wisconsin and the second one was to Iowa. I know that they got outscored 19 to nothing in the fourth quarter against Iowa in a rivalry game at the end of the season when they were up 21 to 9 going into the fourth quarter and had lost that game at home, which would have been at least a, a sweet ending to not even a bittersweet season, a very very sour season for them where all they could hang on to was best 3-9 team of all time, but um, yeah, on Podcast 97, I gave all my reasons as to why Scott Frost shouldn't be the coach this year, and um, he just proved me right again on Saturday, so uh, I have nothing more to say on it. I won't be opining on him or his future for really any episode in the future, and if you ever hear me say Scott Frost, I will probably just cite Podcast 97 and Podcast 99 if you want my opinions. I'm not wasting five minutes on it every single time we talk about football. It's not worth it, uh, but I'll move on from that. Good win for Northwestern, by the way, though. Still very important for them to start their season off um, on the right path after they were not the best 3-9 team of all time. They were just another 3-9 team of all time uh, from last season. It's an even year. They do and, well. you know, I was that's what I was about to get into is that they have won the division in the last two even years that in existence. And uh, that is, or I think maybe we're second in the division in 2018. But, uh, but, but you know, 2020 they did go into that championship game with Ohio State. were ranked 10th in that year at some point. Um, but yeah, even year Northwestern is a, a force to be reckoned with. It's honestly very odd, but you know, sometimes it just works that way. We'll see if maybe their quarterback situation is solved with Ryan Holinsky and that will be kind of the key. The, the key actually every year for them is the quarterback situation in 2020, one quarterback whole way, had a good season last year, four different quarterbacks started terrible season. So if Holinsky can keep playing like he's played and he'll keep it up, then, you know, that'll be that'll be the key for their season. I mean, that, that'll be how they continue to go well. So there you go. Moving on from that, you have Vanderbilt who made a strong statement in their first game under their new coach. They went, they went on the road to Hawaii, put up 35 in the third quarter on, on route to a 63-10 victory at the Rainbow Warriors Aloha Stadium. Uh, look, I don't have much to say about this other than the fact that Vanderbilt played well, and that is a sentence that you don't say much when it relates to football. Uh, really, in basketball, too. You, you can say that a lot when it's talking about baseball, but not in football. Um, will it mean that they're now set to upset Wake Forest? I don't know. Maybe. Does it make them look more likely to do that? Absolutely. Will it happen? Probably not. But, you know, anything positive for any team in week one is always a very, very good sign. You always want to start the season off uh, on the right foot, which is why Nebraska's start is pretty bad for them because this is a team that, well, it's a game that they should have won. They were up 28-17, but, you know, it's also just the first game of the season. You want to win the first game of the season all the time. And when you consider the fact that that game was in their control and they let it go, they didn't score for the last 23 minutes of the game after scoring twice in 30 seconds... That's just, it's just a rough, it's just a rough way to go out in the first game of the season. And it doesn't set the right tone going forward, so they're going to have to turn it around quickly. Whereas Vanderbilt, they just get to carry a lot of momentum in week two. They're playing Elon next week, so that's going to be an easy win. And if it's not, then Vanderbilt will just be 1-11 as always. 
Um, but look, if they can carry that momentum in that Elon game, pretty much put up the same score they did at Hawaii at home in front of their home fans, maybe they draw enough people in the crowd. Maybe they fill the stands. Maybe they fill the student section. And with Wake Forest down the quarterback, that is the reason why they're ranked preseason and the reason why they won 10 games, I wouldn't assume that... I, I don't I don't actually know Sam Hartman's injury status, but based on the way they were talking about it, I would assume he'd only be coming back in kind of the middle of the schedule. I don't really think the non-conference is what they were aiming for, and that game is in week two at home for uh, Vanderbilt against Wake Forest. So I, I think, honestly, it's possible that with that much momentum at home against a team playing with a second-string quarterback, v- Vandy might be able to figure it out enough that Wake Forest hasn't figured it out by that point in the season. And if they have, then there you go. All of a sudden, now Vandy has a ranked win. They're 3-0 heading into SEC play, and all of a sudden, they might look like they're going to have a good season again. I mean, they were in a bowl game only a few years ago, so it's not like they've been terrible. Um, but other than well, that other than that year, they have been terrible. But they haven't been completely awful for years and years and years. Um, so it's a good it's a good momentum starter. We'll have to see what happens next week in terms of can they keep it going. If they keep, I mean, if they stay close with Elon after this win, then all of a sudden just throw them in the 1-11 one and, one and 11 bag again, or I guess the 2-10 and 10 bag again, because if you stay close with Elon after winning by 53 on the road, you, you're not going to play well for the rest of the season. Um, but still, the SEC is tough, and they're probably not going to end up doing much, but I figured you got to give some credit to Vanderbilt for coming out strong this season. Had one of the short had one of the shortest lines of the week in terms of how much they were favored by, and won by the most and put up the most points this weekend. So good for Vanderbilt to start the season. Yeah, pump the brakes on Vandy a little bit, but... Uh, I'm not saying they're going to beat Wake Forest. I'm if, saying there's a chance. If Vandy beat Hawaii by 53 on the road, how much is Michigan going to beat Hawaii by at home well, in the second week of the season? You would assume Oof. you would assume also 60, but uh, at the same time, you never know what happened. You know, wow. Pitt, Pitt struggled to beat Western Michigan last year after Michigan beat them by 60, and Pitt ended yeah. up not that far away from Michigan in the rankings. I know, you can't do that. But so, just, you can't do that transitivity, but wow. Okay. Let's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't look good for the No, it does Warriors. not look like they're going to have a good season. And, you know, that was something that has been predicted. I think their win over under was three and a half or four. And I think I have them going three and nine or four and eight. I think I actually have Vanderbilt having a better record than Hawaii despite being the SEC. So. Okay, well, let's move on to some other games. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with North, Te- North Texas and UTEP. These two teams picked similarly to finish in the CUSA this year. And um, as we know, there's a lot of realignment going on with that conference and talked about that in the last podcast. But Ranked similarly to start the season in terms of that conference, this game was an even line on game day at some point, and all of a sudden, North Texas comes out. It's 14-13 at half. North Texas blanks UTEP in the second half on the road. I mean, granted, Texas against Texas. They're probably close in terms of the campuses. Maybe not super close, but same state for sure, obviously. Big state. Um, Yeah, it is a big state, which is why I refrain from saying that they're definitely close to each other because I don't really know. But... Uh, you know, 31-13, that was a good result. They were up by only one at the half, and all of a sudden, 17 to nothing in the second half. And you have a strong start to your season if you're North Texas. They're going to be a team that's going to be in the mix to win that conference. I don't know if they will or not. I actually don't remember if I predicted them to or not. Um, but UTEP had a great season last year along with UTSA in that conference, and maybe that's some momentum they can carry forward um, in terms of the rest of the season. So who knows? But uh, let's go back out of uh, the whole... CUSA world, and let's talk about the Big Ten again. Again, I said Illinois uh, has a great record in openers. That's something that's been consistent for them. But, you know, you get you get a 10-ish point spread, and you say they're going to win the game, but it's not really a guarantee. 
Um, I think it's a good statement to come out and win 38-6 to in this game. It's not... It's not something that you're going to say is the start of an amazing season for Illinois. I mean, this is not something you can put up there in the same way that if we're pumping the brakes on Vanderbilt, putting up 63, uh, six hours away from their natural time zone, then I think Illinois beating up on Wyoming at home and not even by that much is not that big of a sign in terms of going forward. But at the same time, Illinois looking good in terms of the rest of the season uh, I, if I were to power rank the Big Ten West right now, which has had three, the only three teams that have played the Big Ten actually uh, play so far, I, I wouldn't really be putting, I wouldn't really be changing much from before the season. I don't think that Illinois has convinced me that they're way better. Uh, by default, you do have to put Northwestern above Nebraska at this point because they did just beat them. Um, but at the same time, there's not really much of a uh, much of a dispute in terms of you know, changing where Illinois or Northwestern would be other than in relation to Nebraska, maybe, because if Nebraska's worse than Northwestern, theoretically, they might be the worst team in the conference. Um, and Northwestern has to be not that team because they're the only team that's 1-0 in the Big Ten yet. So there you go. Um, but I'll move on from that. Talking about worst teams in conferences, the two worst teams in all of college football consistently over the last two years have played in Week 0. That was UConn and New Mexico State. They didn't play each other yet, but they will play each other later in the season and what's probably the game of maybe the worst two teams of the season. But I will say, speaking of, I'm saying that it might be the worst two games of the season, these teams didn't actually do that poorly this weekend. Utah State only beat UConn 31-20. Granted, UConn was up 14-0 in the first quarter, but it's the first time UConn has ever led by more than 14 in any quarter since 2015. So let's realize that regardless of if they lost the game or not, this is still an improved team from whatever 2-10 or 1-11 they went last year. Um, and Utah State is no slouch of a team either. That might, by the way, if you want to talk about first week overreactions, that might put Utah State way out of contention in terms of uh, the Mountain West, and that just does not look good for them whatsoever. But at the same time, if you don't want to overreact to it, Utah State... Pick, got their stuff back together, scored 24 in the second quarter, really just cruised to the victory in the rest of the game. But at the same time, they were favored by 25 points or something. And the week in, in week two, after their bye week in week one, they will be playing Alabama. So they're going to be one and one by week three. And uh, this won't help either that they barely beat UConn in what was supposed to be kind of the, you know, kind of the spark game of the season where they game. really, where they really get themselves hyped and show that they can play a good level and then, you know, try to reclaim that when they go to the rest of their schedule. Now they don't really have that to look forward to. And the same thing can be said out of Nevada. Same conference even as Utah State. Uh, not supposed to be as good as Utah State, though. But they beat New Mexico State 23-12. to And it really, I mean, they were losing 2 to nothing. They were losing a baseball score game to New Mexico State. I think the first, like, 10 possessions of the game had nothing but punts, interceptions, missed field goals, and a safety, um, which is not good. But it just goes to show you neither of these teams were playing clean, especially Nevada to start the game. And, you know, New Mexico State made a quarterback change in the middle of the game because their quarterback had completed like three passes and had like three interceptions or something. Something really terrible. Um, but they made that quarterback change. That that other quarterback played well. Maybe New Mexico State has found something that will lead them out of the 2-10, 1-11 conversation this year. Maybe they can win three games or something, squeak one out here or there. Um, but, you know expecting to be one of the worst teams in college football, performing a little bit better to start with. Uh, but that'll move on to two ACC teams, North Carolina and Florida State. North Carolina won 56-24 at home against Florida A&M. 
But Florida A&M had 21 players who were out uh, because they various ineligibility issues, whether it has to do with transfers or academic reasons. This is not a good showing, honestly. Giving up 24 points to an FCS team that doesn't have 21 players. They almost didn't play the game. They honestly, to- honestly, I'm not even saying I'm not even saying that it's a bad showing. It's horrible. I mean, if you want to talk about overreactions, Vanderbilt winning by 63 is almost as good in the positive direction as for as North Carolina giving up 24 points to half of an FCS roster is bad. I agree with you. That isn't an overreaction. This is one of the worst 56 to 24 wins in the history of college football. And the other thing is, they don't they have not shown that they're a good defensive team over a large span of years now. They had Sam Howell and really with a powerful offense with NFL receiver after NFL receiver after NFL receiver Two NFL running backs in the same year last year, in the same draft class, their quarterback got drafted. The only thing that's been holding them back for years is defense, and they're going to come out this year, and the first thing they do is give up 24 to an FCS team. They look terrible. They're going to give up like 60 to every FBS team if they're going to play like this every week. They need to figure it out. They need to play better. Um, But on the other hand, Florida State, 47-7, that's a clean game. That is exactly what you should want. So speaking of the two ACC teams... They're kind of supposed to end maybe in a similar place in the ACC this year. North Carolina's due for some regression after losing all that talent. Florida State trying to trend up after, you know, always having the talent but never having the results. And uh, if you look at how it started so far this season, it definitely looks like Florida State is on a better course. 47 points is obviously very, very clean. Everything worked out well for them. Uh, And by the way, North Carolina scored 21 in the fourth quarter. They were kind of stat padding by the time the fourth quarter was there. That game was way too close for way too long. Yeah, that game was way too close for way too long. I'm not going to say that it makes them bad, but Florida State was up 26 to nothing at the half. That game was never in doubt, um, and they scored 20 in the first quarter. So much more confidence building with a team like Florida State than with North Carolina at this point in the season, although obviously that will change a lot later on. I mean, come on. This, again, week zero. We don't even call it week one. Yeah. So I'll move on from that. Talk about FAU and Charlotte. FAU won 43-13. Honestly, I don't have anything to say about these last three games. I don't know too much about these teams other than the fact that FAU and Charlotte was supposed to be a closer game than it ended up being. Um, but I'm just touching on these games because there's only 11 games, so why not mention them all? UNLV won 52-21, to broke out their turnover slot machine in the process, which is pretty cool if you ask me. Um, and then you have, and also very on theme, obviously, because Vegas, slot machines, makes sense. Um, then you have Western Kentucky. They won 38-27 to over Austin Pay. A big step back from the, va- from the Bailey Zappi years, but you have a guy who breaks college football's record for passing yards. You're not going to follow it up very well the next year at a program like Western Kentucky. No offense to them, but it- it's just really hard to... Uh, maintain that level and uh, I don't I don't I, no shame to their current quarterback but it'll be really hard to live up to the expectations of you know setting the record in FBS at a school where you know that's probably never even thought of as something that they could do but at the same time a good win to start the season probably should have won by more they were favored by like 20 or 30 I never even thought about predicting this game so definitely should have won by more but in the end still won okay well that, that wraps up the look at week zero in college football uh, let's move to our weekly in-depth review of Major League Baseball, starting, as always, in the American League East. The Yankees still holding the lead that they've held all season long, but starting to slip a little bit. And uh, the big result for them was that they uh, took the first two games of a series against the Oakland A's, but failed to actually win that series. They split over the weekend at Oakland, and uh, while the Blue Jays were getting swept at home by the Angels... <laughs> 
Um, the, the Yankees really lost an opportunity to kind of put a team like that away. So the Yankees only stay seven and a half games ahead of the Rays. I say only because they have been leading this game by, I mean, leading this division, sorry, by double digits for pretty much the whole season and not even just double digits. Normally like 15 or 14 or 13, something like that through pretty much the whole middle of the season. So all of a sudden the divisional race being this close is a big surprise. Um, and now you have the Rays at 70 and 57, only seven and a half games back. As I said, the Yankees at 78 and 50, probably not going to be fighting the, with the Dodgers for overall home field at this point, as the Dodgers are now 87 and, or sorry, 88 and 38. So, you know, the Yankees are more than 10 games behind that. If anything, they got to fight with the Astros who are 82 and 47 for home field in the AL. Um, and I don't really think they're on pace to really get there because they had a massive lead over the Astros um, for that lead. And then all of a sudden, really since Houston took a series from the Yankees, th- actually it wasn't even a series, it was a one-day doubleheader uh, somewhere in the middle of the season. The Yankees have not really been that great since that game, mainly in the pitching department. But speaking of a team who hasn't been that great, uh, the Blue Jays getting swept by the Angels is a terrible result. They could have made up games this weekend. Um, instead they sit nine games back at 68 and 58. It hurt their chances in the wild card too. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but now they hope to reverse that fate by, uh, starting a series against the Cubs at home, maybe hoping to win that one in a much easier, well, actually not even an easier matchup than the Angels to be quite honest, pretty much about the same. Uh, but similar teams, maybe the Cubs playing a little bit better right now, but definitely a team that the Blue Jays should be able to easily handle. And speaking of the Angels, the Yankees are going to be playing the Angels this weekend. Uh, then you have the Orioles. They are 67 and 60, 10 and a half games uh, uh, back in this division, six and four in their last 10. They won a series over the weekend against the Astros. So, you know, we thought that maybe the Angels uh, beating the Blue Jays in a series might be the world, might be the biggest surprise of the weekend. But all of a sudden, really, I really, you know, the Orioles beating the Astros in a series was actually close uh, getting up there in terms of the biggest surprise of the weekend. But I still think that was a little bit more likely. Um, and then you have the Red Sox, who are 62 and 66, 16 games back, three and seven in the last ten. Despite finally taking a series from the Rays, they were previously eight and two, or sorry, two and eight against uh, this season. So not very good for them. But you know they finally turned that fate around, and even still, the Rays are only seven and a half back of the Yankees. Okay, let's move over to the American League Central. You have the Cleveland Guardians in first here. When uh, while they struggled. A little bit in Seattle over the weekend. I wouldn't say struggled. Seattle's a good team, so a series split, barely losing the series, having a bunch of close games isn't really that big of a deal. Um, But, you know, you always want to win the series if you can, and they didn't do that this weekend. But, you know, they still played okay. Uh, They've maintained their lead in their division. However, after the Twins had lost six games in a row, you really thought that the Guardians were going to start pulling away in the division, and all of a sudden... The Twins are only two games back after they swept the Giants at home this weekend. So now this division race is close again. Um, And then you have the White Sox who are making it a two-team race in the division as they got swept at home at the hands of the Diamondbacks. Um, That that was probably the most surprising result in terms of whole MLB. Um, (laughs) In terms of results there, that might be even more surprising than the Angels sweeping the Blue Jays, I could argue. Um, because at least now Trout is back after he hasn't been there for a while, and Otani pitched a game there, so I don't know. But anyway, White Sox not looking good, 63-65, and now five games back. 
let alone that sweep. They're also 2-8 and eight in their last 10, and they are just not having a good season. They are not, you know, we keep talking about the fact that they have the talent to turn this around while the other, while the other teams are really just kind of not pulling away enough from them, and all of a sudden it looks like it's the opposite where they have the talent to come back, but even five games feels like a sizable lead against them the way they've been playing because their talent has just not played up that, to that level, and they really haven't gotten healthier over the course of the season. They've just kind of kept getting injured. Uh, but the rest of this division, not really relevant. You have the Royals at 52 and 77. They uh, mustered up, I think, 15 runs at the end of the game at the end of the series against over the weekend against the Padres. Uh, then you have the Tigers, who are 50 and 78. They're 18 games back. Uh, I have no clue what they did this weekend. I wasn't paying attention. I think they played the Rangers, but they not won, really very relevant. They won two in a row. Yeah, that's good. And they're six and four in their last ten, but they're still even behind the Royals. So yeah, you know, neither of these teams are relevant in the wild card discussion. The White Sox actually now closer to the divisional race than the wild card again, as it was for a lot of the season, but then wasn't for a week or two. But still, I, I don't really see that team having a chance. But we'll talk about them more in the wild card race. Okay, let's move over to the American League West. The Astros are in first at 82 and 47, the best record in the AL. The same exact record as the Mets, so second best overall, um, both behind the Dodgers, though. Um, And then you have the Seattle Mariners, who are in the wild card spot. Very, very, uh, very, very secure, I guess, in their spot. We'll talk about that, well, really momentarily, because. As normal, this division doesn't have much to talk about. Um, but they're 11 and a half games back of the division. Said it before, I'll say it again. Not going to win the division. Probably going to get into the wild card. So they're, 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 they have a pretty obvious objective. Um, they, might not be, they might not be afforded the luxury of being able to kind of rest players, set up their rotation at the end of the season, I wouldn't think. Um, really depends on who they play. Maybe if they end their their, seri- their season with series against the A's and the Angels or something like that, then maybe they could and just bank on the fact that they're so much better than those teams talent-wise that they should just win the series regardless of messing with their rotation. Um, but it's not a sure thing, so I don't know if they'll be doing that or not. Definitely would like to be um, in a very, very comfortable place in the wild card, but that's something you can't guarantee in the AL right now. So, uh They'll, they'll, they'll stay where they are right now. They're 70 and 58. They are, uh, again, we'll talk about their standings in the wild card in a second. Then you have the Rangers. They're 58 and 69. They're 23 games back. You have the Angels. I said they swept the Blue Jays, and still they're 26 and a half games back at 55 and 73. Perhaps maybe the most important news for them is not the sweep of the Blue Jays, but the news that Artie Moreno said that he might be selling the team, and he's exploring that option. And the reason why that would also be big is that effectively gets them a different GM because he has been the most involved, most heavily involved owner in terms of uh, front office moves across MLB for a very long time at this point. And uh, if you look at his track record, well, it has not worked out. So <laughs> that's the simplest way to put it. But maybe a more hands-off owner who, I guess, I, I don't really think the new owner would need to spend much more, but just Maybe stay out of the decisions more and just keep up that spending level and just make sure that the organization kind of takes a different direction than they have right now where they don't have a good existing product and also have a terrible farm system, which is the worst combination ever because not only are they not good, but they don't have anybody good coming up to their system to help them either. Um, They're basically the polar opposite of the Dodgers who are number two in the farm system rankings and number one in overall record. The Angels are in the bottom five in terms of MLB Pipeline's new team overall farm system rankings, and also at least bottom 10 in the league in terms of the standings, probably 
maybe 24th or 25th in that range somewhere. Uh, but, you know, maybe the new owner might have helped them. Uh, then you have the A's at 48 and 81. Well, you could talk a lot about ownership there. They need uh, they need some money, or maybe at least they just need to spend some. Um, they, uh, yeah, I don't need to talk about them anymore. I mean, we always talk about this. They don't spend anything. They don't really have any free agents that they're going to sign. They now have basically no one on their team who's played more than like a year or two in the MLB because they released Elvis Andrews, who signed with the White Sox. Um, it's really just Sean Murphy and Chad Pinder in terms of guys who have actually been in the league for really any noticeable amount of time. Uh, and then that's just not a roster that's going to win you playoff games. So, or win you games, period. Okay, let's uh, then let's move to the American League wildcard race. In the wildcard race, you have the Rays in first. They are one and a half games up on the Blue Jays. They're a half game up on the Mariners, who are second. I said I would talk about them here. Uh, the Blue Jays, only one and a half games out of the Orioles, and let's talk about this overall. The White Sox have fallen almost completely out of this race after getting swept over the weekend by the Diamondbacks at home. The Blue Jays, similarly, got swept by the Angels at home this weekend and are now in the third wildcard card spot. They're just a game behind Seattle, though. Uh, and they're only just a game and a half ahead of the Orioles, who continue to have their Oriole magic this season. Uh, I don't know what's going on with them, but maybe they maybe the Orioles claim this spot away from either the Blue Jays or Seattle. I think the Rays are pretty secure because they have a lot of people on their team who are, you know, familiar with playoff races, and uh, they might be getting better, getting healthier over the course of the season, whereas the Blue Jays and Mariners, maybe not. Um, but overall, you also have... The Twins, who after their long losing streak kind of climbed back into this race. They're only three games back now. Um, and then you have the White Sox and the Red Sox at six and seven games back. Obviously, those two teams have been trending in the wrong direction for a long time now. All right. Well, let's move away from the wild card in the American League over to the National League East. The New York Mets are 82-47 and 47 this season. Um, that will be good enough for second in the NL and uh, second overall, I guess, in the league, tied with the Astros. Um, then you have the Braves, who have the fourth-best overall record, actually better record than the Yankees now by half a game, but still are three games back in this division. Uh, then you have the Phillies, 72-56. and 56, They're nine and a half back. They have been very, very good recently. Miami Marlins are 55-72. and 72. They're 26 games back. And the Nationals are 43 and 85, 38 and a half games back. The Mets were able to take advantage of the Braves cooling off a little bit uh, for that three-game lead, and that lead is really not though. It's really not that secure, however, I would say because three games, the way both of these play, these teams are playing. If the Mets cool off a week before the Braves do, in terms of just overall long sustained 70, 75-ish game stretches of dominance. They, they will lose this division. I mean, the Braves, if they continue to play how they've played, really you could count all the way back from the second half of last season. Um, they they would overtake the Mets if they just keep playing the way they're playing. They have the best record over, I think, I think since July 1st, they have the best record in MLB, even better than the Dodgers by a little, little bit. Um, whereas the Mets still have been playing well, but not maybe well enough to kind of sustain that lead if the Braves do that same thing and uh, it'll probably come down to if they play each other again in the rest of the season and you know maybe some other marginal games the Braves playing the Phillies the Mets playing the Phillies uh, the Mets playing the Dodgers this week might be a big series for them because that is kind of the only real other competition they have that's not in their own division um, that can really challenge them a lot so that'll be a big series for the Mets the Braves have already played their series against the Dodgers uh, but we'll see how that goes and we'll see if maybe 
the Dodgers helped the Braves help their NLCS opponents from last season and the season before that get into the division lead if they can maybe even sweep the Mets. I don't think that's going to happen, but they could at least take two of three or something, and you know the Braves could be relying on the Dodgers for that help this week. Uh, in terms of the Phillies, they got Bryce Harper back this weekend, and uh, we'll talk about how important that was for the wildcard race later. All right, well, let's talk about the National League Central. The St. Louis Cardinals have easily overtaken the Brewers. I mean, we talked about the fact that, yeah, they they overtook them a long time ago, but now, after easily overtaking them, they've now extended that lead in the division. Their lead is now at six games over the Brewers. Milwaukee will be looking towards the wild card race to actually get into the playoffs if they're going to get there. Uh, St. Louis at 74 and 54. They're 7 and 3 in their last 10. They won that series over the weekend against the Braves. Then you have the Brewers. They are 67 and 59, six games back, as I mentioned. You have the Cubs, who are 19 games back at 55 and 73. The Reds at 50 and 76, 23 games back. And the Pirates at 48 and 79, 25 and a half games back. This division, still uninteresting. Not much to talk about. If anything, getting worse now that the Cardinals and the Brewers are separating each other, separating from each other even more. So uh, I got nothing else to say. All right, well, maybe we talk about another division that uh, is not very interesting. There's not much to say. National League West. Well, the Dodgers have a bigger lead over the Padres for second play, for first place in the division than the Cardinals do over the Cubs right now. Uh, 19 games compared to 19 and a half games. So, yeah, you're right. It's not very interesting. But the Dodgers, best record in baseball. This is really not the Padres' fault that this lead has gotten this big. Uh, partially, but not entirely. 88 and 38 is their record. Uh, the Padres at 70 and 59 sit 29, uh, sorry, 19 and a half games back, while the Giants, who are just four games under 500, sit 27 games back, farther back from the Dodgers than the Pirates are in the NL Central from the Cardinals, despite the Pirates being nearly 30 games under 500. That's just the pace that the Dodgers are on this season. Um, but the Giants at 61 and 65 there. Then the Diamondbacks at 59 and 67, 29 games back. Now that we've had almost the full season, I would like to say the Diamondbacks have been surprisingly okay this season. I really didn't... They're kind of like the Rangers of the of the AL where, you know, they're in a Western division that has one team fighting for a wildcard spot, one team that's really disappointing this season, and one team that's just playing about as well as you can play. Um, and then all of a sudden, the fourth place team, the well, I guess the Rangers are sitting in third now because the Angels have been that bad, but the fourth-ish third place team uh, has played a little bit better than you expect and kind of starting a, a little bit of a... Uh, expedited rebuild, I guess you could say. Yeah, they've managed to win some games on the road, so yeah. that's what's helped. Last and year, also, atrocious on the road. That is true, and also they are uh, they are going to call up Corbin Carroll, their top prospect number three overall in the MLB, um, and hopefully he can help them win even more games. Maybe they could even end up, you know, a cool 82 and 80, something like that. Maybe they could even make a push to be over 500 this season. We'll see. And that might even result in them making a playoff push next year. But then you have the team who thinks that they're always in contention for the playoffs and never is. The Rockies, they're 55 and 74. They're 34 and a half games back. Really have nothing, no signs pointing up at all. Um, speaking of signs that aren't pointing up, the Dodgers placed Tony Gonsolin on the 15-day IL, but Dave Roberts said he should miss a maximum of tw- of two games. So, you know, or two starts, I should say. Not <laughs> not two games, but two starts. Um, it's, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Uh, but at the same time, right forearm strain is always a touchy subject because it's really the lead, the thing that leads to Tommy John surgery a lot of the time, and that's the injury that Walker Bueller had until he kind of um, eventually had to get Tommy John surgery. So, you know, y- you just never know what it could lead to, but uh, we'll move on from the Dodgers now. 
All right, yes, let's move on to the National League wildcard race. The Braves are nine games up on the Padres for the final wildcard spot. Uh, they are 79-50. and 50. The Phillies are 72-56. and 56. They are two and a half games up on the Padres. The Padres are 70-59 and 59 this season in the third wildcard spot. And the Brewers are one and a half games back at them at 67-59. and 59. While the Giants are 61-65, and 65, seven and a half games back. If you care, the Diamondbacks are technically nine and a half games back in this. I don't really think they have a chance there, though. However, they do play the Padres six times. If they swept the Padres twice, they actually would be giving themselves a chance to be in the wild card, but I, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, then, overall, even with that series loss over the weekend, the Braves are in no danger of losing their playoff spot or losing their grasp on the first wild card spot. The Phillies have taken a sizable lead over the Padres for their second wild card spot and also got Bryce Harper back during their series over the weekend, so they should be able to hold on that wild card onto that wild card spot, which would set up a Braves Phillies series in the wild card round. By the way, I'm, I'm making all these statements because I have looked at the remaining schedules, and the Phillies' combined uh, opponent's record is almost, it's basically the difference between the Padres' winning percentage and the Giants' winning percentage about. 0.06 in terms of the overall schedule. The Padres' average opponent is like 533 in win percentage, and the um, Phillies' opponent is about 471. So it really just, the opponent differential with the Phillies already having games up and now also getting Bryce Harper back, it just seems like it's too much for the Padres to be able to overcome that with that lead that they already have. So I'm going to go ahead and say that the Phillies are looking good for that spot. They just have to avoid some injuries and some more bullpen meltdowns. Then, you have the Padres and the Brewers, who have been moving in sync for a while now. The Padres still not pulling any bit where ahead of one and a half games above the Brewers, but at the same time, Brewers probably should have closed this lead down multiple times and haven't. Um, so those two teams just kind of fighting to see who can let each other into the playoffs. It's really, n neither of these teams are really soaring, kind of like the Cardinals did last season when they won 19 games in a row and kind of seized that wildcard race to themselves. They're, neither of these teams are doing that at all. They're really just kind of fizzling out towards the end of the season and just hoping that the other team continues to lose and they can hold on to that third wildcard spot. It's really not good from either the Brewers or uh, the Padres, and we'll just have to see who comes out better in the end and who continue, maybe who gets hot quicker in terms of being able to sustain that play for the rest of the season. But there's not much time left as we now head into September. All right, well, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this week. It also... Wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, September 5th, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at Major League Baseball, and look back at the highlights from week one of college football action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow, his annual spreadsheet predicting every college football game for the 2022 regular season and our college football preseason poll, all of which are already posted on the website, and Patrick's picks for next weekend's games, which will be posted on Thursday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.